In 2016, the price of a barrel of crude oil was at its lowest point in more than a decade. That made for pretty cheap gas at the pump. But things look very different today. It now costs almost $3 a gallon to fill up your gas tank in the U.S. So why has the price of fuel changed so dramatically? How much higher can it go? And who will be the winners and losers in the global economy? Welcome to Benchmark. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. And I'm Daniel Moss, economics writer and editor at Bloomberg Opinion in New York. Now, before Dan and I get into a little debate about the economic side of this issue, we're going to have one of our best in-house experts to talk about oil. Javier Blas is chief energy correspondent for Bloomberg News based in London. Javier, thanks for joining us on Benchmark. My pleasure. So, Javier, brief history lesson first. Why did the price of oil fall so far just a few years ago? In one word is OPEC, the oil cartel. In 2014, OPEC was really worried that uh, U.S. shale production, so think about North Dakota and Texas, was increasing so much that at one point they were going to lose control of the market. So what they did was to increase their own production, bring the price down massively on the hope that everyone else was going to get more or less out of business. It really worked that way. What happened, they created a massive glut that depressed prices to less than $30 a barrel and brought the price of petrol or gas in the United States, petrol here in Europe, significantly lower, benefiting consumers. And since then, you know, obviously the American producers have not exited the market, but the price has come back up a fair amount. Why has it come back so much in the last couple of years? Well, after a couple of years of OPEC really trying that policy of increasing their own production, trying to get the producers of the United States out of business, they realized that it's very difficult to go head ahead with the Texas producers. So what they did was the opposite. They decided to cut their own production. So Saudi Arabia made a deal with Russia, which is outside OPEC, and it broke a large coalition of oil producers that decided at the end of 2016 to reduce their production in the hope that they will bring prices up. It really has worked and they have got some extra help. For one, the global economy is doing a lot better than expected, and that means that we are consuming more oil. Second, the production started to fall in places like Venezuela, where uh, political mismanagement has meant that production is probably close to the lowest in 30 years. And then you have geopolitics. The Middle East looks pretty nasty right now, and particularly now that we have extra concerns about production in Iran due to the new sanctions from the United States. I thought OPEC was a busted flush. I recall every couple of years, stories were written, or at least assigned, that OPEC was a thing of the past. They couldn't control anything anymore. The biggest, most influential producers were largely outside OPEC. Why are we still even talking about these guys? Well, I can tell you that in 20 years I have been covering OPEC. I have seen people declaring OPEC death several times, and it has always survived every crisis. And they have done a lot better than we expected. You think about every time that OPEC cuts production, 
We expecting that they are going to cheat quite a lot and that the cuts will be about 60% of what they promised. This time around, the big surprise is they are even deli over delivering. The production cuts are 110% of what they just announced. And that's a lot due to Saudi Arabia, which is cutting more than enough to compensate for everyone else that is cheating. The Saudis have really brought OPEC alive. Let's talk about Saudi Arabia. You know, another idea that's been rammed down our throats is how Saudi Arabia's economy is branching out in an entirely new direction. The reformist crown prince wants to put oil behind him. The era of the hydrocarbon in the Middle East is fading. How does that play into all this? Saudi Arabia really wants to diversify his economy, and he's saying that he wants to cut his dependence on hydrocarbons. But so far, it remains as oil-dependent as he has always been. Maybe in the future, if all those reforms take place and they are properly implemented, the Saudis will need uh, less oil and probably lower prices. So far, what's happening is more or less the opposite. While they are trying to implement those reforms, they need a healthy economy. And that is only happening if you have a higher oil price. The International Monetary Fund believes that Saudi Arabia needs something like $85 a barrel to break even his, uh, his budget. So that means that they really need even higher prices that we are experiencing now to, to make it fiscally. And that is going to be one of the reasons why the Saudis are trying to keep prices as high as they can. Javier, how much has the increase in American production fundamentally disrupted the oil market and made it a lot harder to reach the kind of prices or at least sustain at the kind of levels that you're talking about? Well, U.S. shale production is the biggest factor and the biggest disruption that we have seen in the oil market in a very long time. Probably you have to go to the collapse of the Soviet Union about 30 years ago to find something of that scale. Just giving you a couple of numbers to put things in perspective. At the peak about a decade ago, the United States have net oil imports. That includes crude oil and refined products like gasoline. On a net basis, the U.S. was importing about 12 million barrels a day. That's about a bit more than 10% of global consumption. Next year, according to U.S. government forecasts, that will go from 12 to one and a half. The last time that the U.S. imported on a net basis so little oil from overseas producers was when Dwight Eisenhower was at the White House more than 60 years ago. That gives you a sense of how profound the disruption of U.S. shale has been for the oil market. Javier, sounds like you've just slayed another sacred cow. As far as the oil industry concerned, there's no U.S. terminal decline. The U.S. is the swing factor. Yes, it is. I mean, that, that has been the, one of the biggest changes that we have seen. And what we are seeing also is that shale producers, every time that OPEC has attacked them and brought them low prices, meaning pain, rather than going out of business, they have got better. They are now leaner and meaner, and they can increase production faster than in the past. I was in Midland at the center of the Permian in West Texas earlier this year, and everyone thought, well, probably in the past we needed 75 to $90 to survive. Today we can do it at $50. And that is a lot lower than where the oil price is today. 
So what you're saying or what we're talking about here is that the oil market has fundamentally changed in some ways and in other ways it, it hasn't and some of these issues still remain. Is that right? Yes. I mean, Saudi Arabia is going to still needing very high prices. OPEC has an influence on the market. But a lot of what is going to happen now for OPEC to be able to manipulate the price of oil is going to depend on what is happening in the U.S., whether shale production is growing or not. And we know that it's growing a lot. So then OPEC needs a bit of help from the global economy. As long as the global economy, think about countries like India, China, Indonesia are doing well, then OPEC probably will be able to put prices higher. When that doesn't happen and global economic growth slows down, then OPEC is going to be in deep trouble because U.S. shale production is unlikely to stop growing. I'm glad you mentioned China. What role is oil consumption in China and its appetite for imports playing in this narrative? It is very important. It's one of the biggest factors. As big as the U.S.? It is as big as the U.S. China is very close to consume, to import as much oil as the United States. It's not consuming as much. But China is really the big factor in, in the market. The uh, intensity of uh, oil demand is not really slowing down a lot. And what we are seeing is when we thought that maybe demand was slowing down because the Chinese have already bought a lot of cars, a lot of trucks, etc., etc., we are seeing another boom now in oil demand. This is coming from the petrochemical industry. The Chinese are consuming a lot of plastic, really a lot. So what are the forecasts? What are the smartest people saying about where the price of oil will be, say, at the end of 2018 or the end of 2019? Where, where do people see it going? Uh, here is the problem. The smartest people in the room say that the oil price is going to be anywhere from above $100 to below 50 a barrel. And that very much depends on what is your view of many factors on the market, what is going to happen with Venezuela, what is going to happen with the tensions in the Middle East, and in particular in Iran, what is going to happen with the global economy, and what's happening with OPEC. But I'm going to tell you something. Usually it matters a lot in the oil market what the Saudis want. It may be that it takes a bit of time to get what they want. Sometimes it could take years, but the Saudis usually can get around with their oil price uh, preferences or targets. They hate, the Saudis hate the word target for the oil price. So I will call it, what is their preference? And their preference today is get the price of oil around $80 a barrel. So after all these years and all these economic cycles, Saudi Arabia is still the Federal Reserve of oil. You are absolutely right. The Saudis have been and continue to be the central bank of the oil market. And it's not only because they can increase and decrease production to um, manipulate the price of oil. The Saudis are the only country in the planet that they are uh, paying billions of dollars to sustain a spare capacity. That means that they are sitting into the capacity to increase their production at very short notice if it's needed. And that's really their power. Just imagine a geopolitical crisis, something happens in Venezuela. The Saudis are going to be the ones who can increase production in a matter of hours, in a matter of days, and bring new supplies to fill the gap. That is where the Saudis play the role of the central bank of the oil market, 
one that they have been doing since the 70s, and I don't see anything so far that is going to change it. Javier, it's always educational talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us on Benchmark. My pleasure. So, Dan, let's talk about the economic impact of oil now. I think there's a really a lot here. You have Trump tweeting that prices are too high. Then he pulls out of the Iran nuclear deal, which pushes prices up. You've got an American oil sector that's pumping so much shale oil that it's totally changed the dynamics of the global industry, as Javier was talking about. And you have another producer, Venezuela, that's basically in total chaos. And also an economic angle we're following closely here is the tax cuts signed into law by Trump that are being partly negated because of rising gas prices. For me, I see a lot of different factors going back and forth on the U.S. economy, on the global economy. But you seem to think that it's really just the same story that we've been talking about for the last 30, 40, 50 years. Well, I'm not saying the contours of that narrative haven't changed, but it feels like the more people try to emphasize how it's different this time, then the more it seems like it isn't. It's kind of frustrating to see every time the oil price rises X, Y, Z or Z dollars. Well, we've got to have a big, you know, navel gazing exercise on what it means for the US economy. Haven't we moved on? Well, isn't it possible to see it in a more nuanced way that that maybe things are a little different than they were before? Because, you know, clearly OPEC doesn't have the total domination power to adjust oil prices, to control oil prices like they did in the past. And they haven't been able to get rid of the American oil industry to, to knock them out. In fact, they've only made America's oil sector stronger. And maybe the way you're looking at it is that all these forces have just made the story more boring than it used to be. And boring is synonymous with good? Is that what you're saying? In some ways, it's interesting from a news perspective, but boring in that it doesn't roil up the global economy as much as it used to. And yet it does create some challenges uh, for Saudi Arabia and these other kind of large producers in the Middle East. You know, I loved hearing Javier's overview. It was a refreshing tonic to a lot of the hype that we hear about the U.S. domestic oil industry, about how Saudi Arabia is supposedly changing, and, you know, OPEC's obituary appears to have been written every couple of years, and Lazarus-like, it's back. I'm having trouble figuring out whether the most important thing is the broad narrative or whether it's the little nuances where things clearly do change at the margin. But cumulatively, have they changed enough? Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app and podcast destinations such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'd love it if you took the time to post a review of the show so more listeners can find us. You can also check us out on Twitter. Follow me at Scott Landman. Dan, you're at... 
moss underscore eco. And our guest, Javier, is at Javier BLAS2. Benchmark is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.